Christ in Relationships is Dr. Joel Hunter's series, and he continues with his seventh message, Delaying Us. From the New American Standard, Dr. Hunter's text is taken from Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 14, and it reads as follows. And gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which, he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so, when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up, while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was departing, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. And they also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, that is, Peter and John, and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas son of James. These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer, along with the women, and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. And now... Let's join Dr. Joel Hunter for his seventh message entitled, Delaying Us, as he continues his series, Christ in Relationships. Well, as you know, I'm preaching this whole year on relationships, and uh, we began the year by talking about how relationships influence your theology and the beginning stages of your belief, how what you've gone through uh, really uh, form your theology. And now we're taking... Uh, the counterbalance of that, how your theology influences your relationships. Specifically, in very practical ways, we're talking about how Christ molds our characters to get him ready, to get us ready, I'm sorry, for specific relationships, specifically ministry relationships. We're taking that segment of his life in between Palm Sunday and, and the beginning of the church, and we are seeing the attributes that he, that he added to the disciples, and in turn, seeing the attributes that he adds to us so that we can have particularly Christian relationships. Now, we got all fired up in the last couple of weeks, and, and uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago we heard about the authority that he bestows upon us to bring about on earth what he has designed in heaven. What a tremendous and awesome authority that is. We also heard that Christ said, and not only that, but you will do it with love and tenderness and mercy, which is my nature. Don't forget that part. Very, very important. So now, those of you who have heard that are ready to go, just as the disciples were ready to go. Okay, uh, uh, we can do this deal. But God, in his infinite uh, wisdom and probably humor, uh, says... There is something else. You need to wait. You need to learn to wait. Not just this one time, but often. Because 
There's something so very important that if you don't understand it, what you build will fall into itself. And that is this, that as ready as you are to build, unless the Lord builds the house, they who labor, labor in vain. I've got to build that thing. It's got to be built with my spirit, with my leading. So let me proceed to talk to us about something none of us like to hear about. We don't like to hear about patience. We don't like to hear about the not yet. I would rather, you know what? Personally, I would rather have a no from God than a not yet. Because it drives me crazy to be delayed, to wait. But yet, there is a wisdom to this. And I'll speak to that. If you have your scriptures with you, uh, turn to the first chapter of Acts. Reading with me, starting with verse 4. And gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit, not many days hence. So when they asked him, to, uh, so, I'm sorry, so when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? Now, this, this, uh, this tense of the verb means they kept asking him, kind of like a little kid. You going to do it now? You going to do it now? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Now, I want you to know that in their mind, they thought they knew what he was about to do. Because they read scripture and they knew approximately what God was going to do. But that approximately word gets you in trouble every time. And Jesus saw in their lives that if they were let loose, they would go out and just start building the picture they had in their head. And that wasn't the picture God had for them. God had something special and unique, not just a mechanical building of an old prophecy. And so he said this to them, It is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by His own authority. But you shall receive power. That receiving is the position He wants them to stay in. That is the position of salvation. We receive salvation. That is the, the, the position of holiness also. We receive it. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses, different from doing my witnessing. You shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. Now let me take just that section of the text right now and talk to you about, <laughs> well, nowadays it's called, uh, it used to be called, um, cooling your jets, and then it was called chilling out, and nowadays in the high schools it's called slowing your roll. Slow your roll, you know. Calm down. Don't don't go off with that bumper sticker that says, lead follower, get out of the way. That frantic, you know, we've got to get on with this thing. Um, there is a timing. There is a gentleness. There is a spirit leading to life that God wants us to learn about. Now, we don't come by this naturally, no matter how mature we are in the faith. John Calvin said, 
I have a great struggle, not with my vices, though they be great and numerous, but with impatience. It doesn't matter how mature you are in the faith, we still have our greatest struggle with our own tendency to run ahead of God or try to. It's always been this way. It was that way in the wilderness. Remember when Moses got up on the mountain, he got into conversation with God, and he didn't come down when the people expected he would come down. And so what did they do? Well, they went to Aaron. That's what you do. You always go to the next holiest. (laughs) And you try and get something going. The Bible says in Exodus 32, verse 1, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people assembled about Aaron. And they said to him, Come, make us a God who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. You know, in other words, let's get on this deal. You know, waited long enough, not here. Come on. Now, we won't, go, we won't do this on ourselves. We want you to make us a God so that we can worship. But we want to just kind of, just kind of go on with the deal, which is most of our tendency. Let's think of a way, if God's not going to lead us or God's not going to show up on time, if God's not going to do it according to our schedule, let's think of a way we could just work it out. And then we'll dedicate it to God. You know, we'll say, oh, God, we did this for you. Same thing happened with Saul and Samuel. Samuel said to Saul, knowing Saul's nature, Saul, don't be off making a prayer dedication until I get there. I'm going to get there in about a week. You know, wait for me. Well, he wasn't there. He didn't show up. This is 1 Samuel 13. Didn't show up on time. He said a week. He's not here in a week. You know? And then Samuel saw people scattering. Now, as soon as you see your life kind of losing its momentum, what do you do when you're impatient? You start making ultimatums to yourself. You start saying to yourself, you know, if I don't get this thing done, it's not going to get done. If I don't, if I don't act now, it's all going to fall apart. And so therefore, you panic yourself. You kind of push your own buttons. I mean, you're in the center of the universe. That part feels good, but but you start to say, well, I'm responsible here. I, I've got to do something. And that's exactly what Saul did. So he said, the prayer dedicated, exactly what Samuel told him not to do, as it would be, as soon as he said it, Samuel showed up. Samuel looked at him and said, what did you do, Saul? And Saul said, this verse, verse 12, or verse 11 says, well, I saw the people were scattering, and and you did not come within the appointed time. And then he says this. So I forced myself. I love this. I forced myself to just go ahead. Samuel looked at him and said, You've acted foolishly. Now look at what he says. He says, for now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not endure. Remember those words. These are the words to someone who builds on their own. According to their own plans, according to their own schedule, according to their own inclination. These are the words. Listen to this. But now your kingdom shall not endure. 
The Lord has sought out for himself a man after his own heart. The Lord has appointed him as a ruler over the people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. How many of us believe it's our job to conduct the universe, believe it's our job to just go out and get something done? And so we will react to building something in mechanical ways and then ask God to bless it. It's very important to understand that the schedule needs to be God's. That's what Jesus was telling the disciples that day. You know, it's not for you to know the timing of this deal. It's just for you to watch. It's not for you to know. Many of us, when we when things don't happen according to our schedule or according to where we thought they ought to. You know, how many of you right now think you ought to be further along in your life than you are right now? You know, you thought, by this time, I ought to be president of IBM or something. You know? You know, by this time, I thought I'd be doing such and such, and you're just not there yet. And you're starting to to talk to yourself about it. You know, if I don't make some moves here, if I don't do something, you know... Uh, I don't know what's going to happen. Well, if you do do something, you don't know what's going to happen. Because you can't build what you want to build in the flesh. You can't build something that will grow and have eternal power to it. If you start it, you design it, and it's according to you. It just doesn't work that way. Most of us build relationships like that. Oh, God, give me a friend, you know? And instead of waiting for the timing, we go out and <laughs> veritably choke somebody to death with our intention. We're so intense on getting a friend. You know? Some of you, I I say this hesitantly because I I know this will be be hurtful, but some of you have raced way ahead of God in your physical relationship together, you men and women. Some of you may be even living together without the benefit of marriage. And you're saying, you know, I'm a believer. I'm here in church. I'm trying to do my best, and I'm trying to dedicate my relationship to God. You know, I'm not a bad person. Of course you're... I mean, hear this without a bit of condemnation. I remember what it was like to have the hormones raging. I remember what it was like to be lonely every night and just want to be secure with someone. I remember that. This is not in condemnation. This is telling you how the world is arranged. When you arrange... Your relationships on a human level, that's all you got. There isn't any divine help. You know why? Because God will not be a junior partner in any relationship. If God is in the relationship, He's the senior partner. Period. So, it's not like we can arrange something and then dedicate it to God no matter how badly we want to. Let me, let me give you just a, a, a scripture for that. Now, this scripture, it's in Matthew chapter 6. Look at it with me, if you have your scriptures. This scripture is not usually used for this kind of thing, but I just want to show you that unless God has initiated it, and unless something is done absolutely to the glory of God, what we see is all we get. Look with me, Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. When you pray... You are not to be as the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners in order to be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. 
Does that mean they get no reward? No, they like people to kind of watch them being religious. By the way, churches do this. You know, let's organize and form a church. And God had formed a church. And so they're just, you know, they're kind of fellowshipping together. And God's not leading. Now they do, there is some reward in that. In the fellowship, it feels good to have the fellowship. But that's all there is. They have their reward in full. Look at verse 16. Whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance in order to be seen fasting by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. There it is again. If you do something on a human level, that's exactly what you get, and that's all you get. Jesus said it best. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh. Whatever is born of the Spirit is spirit. God has to do it if it's going to have an eternal energy and an eternal upbuilding. Something that does not require all your energy because that's what the flesh does. It requires all your energy. Now read these, read these um, uh, two verses with me, verses 19 and 20. You may never have heard them outside of a stewardship sermon because most of the time these are used to get money out of people. And, 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 and there's, there's a true principle in this. But that's much too narrow for these verses. Look at what the verses say. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where where thieves do not break in or steal. Do you know this can stand for relationships too? Do you understand that this can stand for our schedules also? our businesses, our ministries, if we're doing these things, we're doing them under human power. And you know what's going to happen? They're going to become corrupted and start to collapse. And, and, and if we're building up relationships in the flesh, others can come in and steal those we have the relationships with. Thieves can come in. But if they're relationships that have been designed in heaven, and we have gone along and we have seen God, design these things, and we have followed his lead, if we will make him the senior partner, then these relationships have a life all of their own beyond what we put into them. And we can trust in that. You know, it's going to become more and more difficult for us to discern what is of the flesh and what is of the spirit because we have linked what is of the spirit to its ability. That's one of the, that's one of the, the cruel um, um, ironies of the of the super church and of of the churches that proclaim all of these miracles. They 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 link spirituality with how much gets accomplished. And so so very much of the time, what they're looking for is not God but achievement. And we're going into a whole era of our time where we will be able to achieve much more than we ever dreamed of. You know that. But it doesn't mean it's of God. I love to read about future technology and the developing technology. I like to, to, to read about artificial intelligence and about the robotics. I like to, I like to know that the, ro- the, robot, the robots that we have used in industry are just a... I mean, they're just a, a foreshadowing of what is to come. You know, we use these things in industry and, and they've been a great deal of threat to, to blue-collar jobs because they do the routine jobs and they... They never ask for a day off and they, you know, they make very few mistakes. And so there have been 
several blue-collar layoffs because machines have replaced them. But guess what? White-collar jobs are now in danger also. Let me tell you why. Because they're developing artificial intelligence to the place where... Uh, well, let me, let me just explain. Uh, in, in this one experiment, they have designed computer ants. And they watch these things on a screen, and they, they evolve in their intelligence in working their way through a maze to try to find what represents food. Now, they've not only done that with ants, but they have also begun... To, to have the capability to build what they call neural networks. Somebody told me, by the way, there was a, a, a Star Trek show just the other night on this. I missed it. But neural networks that have the human-like capability of thinking through very complicated decisions. Now, we have just moved from the blue-collar to the white-collar jobs. Now we have a calculation based upon statistics of decision-making power of a machine. And not only that, but 10, 15 years down the, down the way, there will be a melding of biology and technology to form a lifelike mechanical person, which they project will go to the courts and try to win their individual rights, but these people will have great ability and some will define them as human life. As a matter of fact, Christopher Langton uh, of uh, the, uh, uh, let me see, let me see, the San Paulos um, National Laboratory in New Mexico, no, the Los Alamos uh, National Laboratory in New Mexico has said that, you know, Genuine life, I mean artificial life, this, this mechanical life will be genuine life. It'll just be made of different stuff. Well, no, it won't. Why? Because what is born of the flesh is flesh. And what is born of the spirit is spirit. And you can never make a human out of a machine. You just can't. Why? Because it doesn't depend on the ability. Humanity doesn't depend on your ability. I wish we could, I wish we could understand this. It doesn't depend on your ability or your limitation. It depends on whether or not God has breathed the breath of life into you. That's what it depends upon. And it doesn't matter how much great capability you have. Somebody gave me a computer chip last night. It said, this computer chip right here, this little gold, see on this card, little gold computer chip, can hold all of the information Campus Crusade has. It also, this little computer chip, could hold everything you have ever learned in your life, everything you know now, and everything you ever will know in the future could all be placed on this little computer chip right here. Does that make it human? No. Why? Because this was born of the flesh. And we're born of the Spirit. Could I say the same thing about your schedules. Does it make your schedules alive? Does it make them of God just because there's a lot of activity and you can achieve a lot with your ability? No. What really counts is what God has ordained for you and that you listen and that you do what God wants you to do. It doesn't matter how much you can achieve. And some of that is waiting for a signal from God, waiting for a sign from God. And I know some of you have been waiting a long time. And you haven't got it yet. 
You know what? Wait longer. Because you want to make sure that it's God who is doing this thing. Now, read the next little passage with me in this. And there's a great relief in this, believe it or not. You think there's just frustration in waiting. There's not. There's a great relief in this. After he had said these things, this is verse 9. He was lifted up while they were looking on. He was lifted up. Notice that verb mood, that, that, that tense. See, or the, the, the mood, I'm sorry, that says it's, it's, it's passive. He was just, he was lifted up. While they were looking on, and a cloud, now this is not a cumulus or a surus, <laughs> this is the Shekinah glory cloud. This is the cloud that went before the Hebrew people in the, in the, in the wilderness, you know. This is God's cloud. And a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently in the sky, and you see this, you see it's kind of like, we, like when we watch the shuttle, you know. Can you see it anymore? You know? As they were gazing intently into the sky while he was departing, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them, obviously angels. And they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Now this is, this is key. It is important for us to understand that not only do we wait for a leading from God before we do something. And I'm not talking, please, I'm not talking about brushing your teeth. Go ahead, brush your teeth. With or without a leading, brush your teeth. I'm not talking about the daily, you know. I'm talking about the important decisions of your life. Not only do you pray and say, oh God, give me a leading on this. Let me hear you. Let me see you. Not only is that important so that they don't fall apart so that rust, or, 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 sorry, rust and moth does not come in and eat them and thieves do not come in and steal what you've built because it was just human. Not only for its long-lastingness and the, and the life of its own that it has, but also, listen to this, for your relaxation. Do you know the habit that all of us have is to influence even the things that we think we've let go of? It's true. I want, to, I want to tell you that I, you know, I kidded about this in other services, but, but there could have been a few disciples that day that when Jesus was ascending with his resurrection body, they were standing there going, trying to help, you know? When's the last time you went bowling and your ball started going for a gutter? What'd you do? You're trying to help, you know? Like, like that's going to help. The fact is, we got to learn to let go. We've got to learn to let God have it. There are times when we just need to have a recess in our lives because God can accomplish things when we are inactive. Do you understand that most of us believe if we don't do it, it's not going to get done? We say it. Or we say, if you want something done right, you've got to do it yourself. We say that stuff. We believe this stuff. We believe that if we're inactive, everything's inactive. Let me tell you a, a great secret. God can accomplish a whole lot when you just stand and watch Him. Just because you're inactive doesn't mean there's not progress being made. You, can you remember that? We carry this stuff around. We carry the whole load of the whole world around all the time. 
Even when we say we've put our lives in God, we still carry it around. I, I heard a story one time about uh, a uh, little uh, old lady who was dragging this huge suitcase toward a streetcar. And she dragged this thing, and it was just obviously heavy. And she finally made her way on the streetcar and paid the thing and went down the aisle, and all the seats were full. So she stood in the middle of the aisle holding the suitcase in the and her other hand on the, the streetcar conductor is looking in the mirror. Finally said, lady, you can put the suitcase down. The car will carry the suitcase. Let me say the same thing to you. I see many people going into prayer, and they're still the ones lugging around the burden. If God has you, he's got your burdens. Put them down. Let him carry them. You know, it's going to go, you don't need to hold the stuff. God can carry the stuff. There can be progress made while you're just standing and resting. And not only that, not only do we need to, to be able to take a recess, but we need to be able to pace ourselves with peace. You know, when, when we say, Learning God's timing. That does not mean total inactivity all the time. We've got to go on and conduct our lives just like the, they had to go on and conduct their lives. You know, they had to do the daily stuff. But it means learning the cadence with heaven. It doesn't, you know, when, when it says in Hebrews 12.1, learn to, uh, let us with patience run the race that is set before us. Patience is key. Running the race. We're running for the long run here. We're, we're kind of getting into the rhythm of the whole thing. We're learning to do what God wants when He wants to do it. We're not just learning all the right things to do. We're learning when to do the right things. That is absolutely key. Let me tell you a little story I heard one time. It's always stayed with me. heard it long ago. There was a little boy who wanted to learn how to play the piano. And he just figured if he would pick out a section of keys and master them one at a time, you know, just know where they were and play them at any speed and be able to do anything he wanted to with them, that would get him into playing the piano. And so he just picked out a section of keys and, and he just went over it every day. Did it, did it slow, did it fast, did it loud, did it soft. Boy, he mastered that set of keys, you know. And then a piano teacher came and his mother so proud, you know, moms do this. Oh, Sonny, she said, show this man what you can do. So he went up to that piano and he, he did his keys, you know. Looked up like that. Piano teacher looked up and said, son, that's very good that you know how to play those keys, but I want to tell you, it's not the keys that makes the difference. It's the cadence and the rhythm that make the difference. And then he took the same keys and did this. You understand? It's not the keys. You can, you can, you can do a hundred things well. But if you haven't got the timing, you haven't got the song. You just got the sound. Most of us will, will do whatever we can. To, to, to run out and just just to do stuff. That's not what God wants. Life is not about activity. Let me just go these last verses. Uh, start with me, verse 12. Because I, 
I not only want you to get the idea that God has this great, delightful cadence for us all. There's a rhythm to life. But I also want you to understand that most of us try to haul this whole ministry or build whatever we build virtually alone. And that's not at all how the disciples started out. The first thing they did when they had something overwhelming, when something was not going as fast as they thought it should go, was that they gathered together. Because when we are isolated, impatience is twice as powerful. We haven't got any any um, perspective that other people can give us. We don't see anybody's faith. We don't see anybody's joy that kind of relaxes us and, and gives us faith also. Disciples do better. It says here, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room. This could well well have been the place where they had the Last Supper, where they were staying. That is, Peter and John and James, Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the zealot, Judas, the son of James, these all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers, and so on and so forth. You see? Next verse says there's 120 of them there. What does that say to us? It says to us that most of us just have the opposite tact when we're waiting for something. Usually we wait alone. And waiting alone will drive you crazy every time. Get with other believers. Get with other believers and wait with them. You know, share the load. Don't try to carry it. Usually when somebody's waiting for something, they try to increase the things that they're doing so that it will hurry up and get there. They think they can bring it by an increase in in achievement. They can't. Let me, show, let me tell you another story I heard. It was about uh, uh, an angel who went to a hermit who was compulsive. I think most of us are compulsive, by the way. I think most of our society is compulsive. But anyhow, went to this uh, hermit and uh, said, uh, let me show you something. So he takes a hermit out into the woods, and, and, and they look at this woodsman. And this wood, woodsman is hacking all these branches, you know, and he's carving them up, and he's making a bundle of sticks, and he ties this bundle up. Big bundle, and he and he lifts it up on his shoulder, and he starts to starts to walk. And it's very difficult. He's stepping over the logs, and and he's he's trying to stay out of the mud. And he he gets just a little bit down the lane, and he drops the thing. He looks at it, he's all worn out because it's so heavy. And he's trying to figure out what to do, and so he he goes over and he starts cutting more sticks, and he, and he takes them over to the bundle. And he binds them up with a bundle. And then he tries to lift that up. And he gets it on his shoulder and he starts to go and his legs are wobbling. And he only gets about half as far. And he lets it down again. He just can't carry it any further. And he looks at this hand. It's so heavy. He's tiring him out. He's trying to figure out what to do. So he goes and cuts some more sticks. And he goes over and he adds those to the bundle. And by this time, this is huge. And he tries to pick it up. And he gets it about here and he can't pick it up. Still trying to figure out what to do. He goes and starts cutting more sticks. Angel looks at this guy, this hermit, and he says, That's you. 
He said, whenever you can't do something, you start thinking of other things you ought to do so that you can do the thing you were trying to do that wasn't going. Anybody in this sanctuary does that? Oh, I can't do this, so maybe if I did this and this and this, then this would work. And maybe if that doesn't work, I'll do this and this and add it to this and see if that works. And then you wonder why you're so tired you can hardly walk. Listen, you've got to let the thing down. You're going the opposite direction. You're taking more on alone. What you need to do is share it. Share what you got. Let us pray about it with you. Get into a small group. Uh, uh, get into some sort of, of, of relationship building thing and say, man, let's bear one another's burdens just like it says in Galatians 6. That's what gives us the patience to wait for God's timing. And as we do that, the greatest, the absolute topmost trainer for being given the sight to recognize when God is moving and when He isn't is prayer. They were continually devoting themselves to prayer. By the way, that's what we're going to do next week. That's the service. We're going to pray. We're going to, we're going to get the glasses of God so that we can recognize when He's moving. You know why? Because the greatest progress in this world, listen to this very closely. Write this down on your hearts. Write it down in your sermon outlines. The greatest progress in this world does not come by making something happen and then trying to set it in order later. Listen to this. The greatest progress in this world comes by setting everything in order and then waiting for something to happen. Let me say that again. The greatest progress in this world does not come from making something happen and then trying to set it in order later. The greatest progress in this world comes from setting everything in order and waiting for something to happen. Let me give you an example, and then I'll quit. When I was a young pastor, just brand new in the ministry, I was just, you know, I was like any young pastor, just me and my motorcycle. <laughs> and uh, got, a, got a church, Greenfield, Indiana, rode my motorcycle out, and loved those people. It was great. And... Uh, Young single guy, you always think about dating, but uh, I, uh, I knew, I was smart enough to know this. You, you don't date anybody in your congregation because, number one, every grandmother in the country drags their, their daughter, granddaughter up to meet a preacher. Not because they're any great shakes, but because, you know, at least the guy won't beat her and he's, you know, fairly stable, you know. So just... And, and, and as soon as you date one, you made the other grandmother mad. And you never want to make a grandmother mad. they got the greatest prayer life, and you just don't want to get on the wrong side of their prayer list. <laughs> but the other reason is you just don't want to fool with all the rumors and all that kind of stuff. So I just went out, and, you know, I, I just I loved the whole congregation. Wasn't even looking for something, somebody to date at the time. Just, you know, kind of hanging out. Well, I got assigned to another church. And at my going away uh, party. There's lots of people there. And, and I was giving folks rides on my motorcycle, you know, like any minister would. <laughs> and uh, and one, of the, one of the people that I gave uh, rides on my motorcycle was somebody I really didn't know. Uh, turned out to be my future wife. Um, but, you know, as she was, you know, getting off the motorcycle, I said to her what I said to everybody. You know, well, let's keep in touch. You know, you know that's what you do at a, at a 
going away party. You just tell everybody that. You know, well, let's keep in touch. Even though you know you're the worst writer and caller in the world, you just say it because you don't know what else to say. So I said, yeah, let's keep in touch. Yeah. Um, but I just, you know, just went on because I, you know, didn't know, I mean, I'd seen her around and, and every time I saw her, she was with this guy that was like six, seven. So it was immediately dismissed from my mind. Uh, but, you know, it, what, there just was no, I mean, just, I wasn't looking. I mean, I was just riding. And so, about three days afterwards, I just can't stop thinking about this girl. You know? Didn't know her. Didn't, I just couldn't stop thinking about her. So I thought, well, you know, maybe I'll give her a call. I said, no, I can't call her. That would be, I mean, if, you know, you got, you got your ex-minister calling you up, you know, asking you out. That's not something you want to go through. And I thought, well, I, you know, I just can't stop. That. I'll, I'll just give it a try. So she wasn't home, but I talked with her little brother, which is always a trip. And I said, you know, this is going to, I don't know how to say this, but, I'm, you know, I'd like to talk with your sister. And he said, oh, yeah, she said you'd be calling. <laughs> I hung up and I thought, what? I mean, I went through all this, you know, even wondering if I should call. She said I'd be calling. I mean, is that automatic? Well, we started dating. Of course, I just fell nuts crazy in love. Just bang. Still am. Still crazy. Just just the only thing is different. We haven't got a motorcycle anymore. But I just... <laughs> you know, that's, I just crazy nuts. So it's funny how I'm trying to work up my courage to ask her to marry me. You know? And Boy, that's a... I tell you what. I wouldn't be a girl for all the tea in China when it comes to having babies. But I wouldn't have... I wouldn't be a, a guy when it comes to... Asking a girl, I mean, it's a horrible, I mean, sweat, you know, playing the thing out, you know, so we're out there on her swing, you know, I'm just trying to get up the courage, and I'm trying to think of ways, you know, that she can gently refuse me, you know, turn me down, so that it, it doesn't really kill me, and it doesn't wipe me out, but, you know, just maybe writing to me a letter or something like that, so I just, I start building up to it, and I start saying, you know, and I know it's taking way too long, but it's good therapy for me, listen, <laughs> It's a kind of group thing, you know. So I I start giving her outs, you know. I said, now, you don't have to answer this right away. i got a question to ask you, but please don't feel like it. As a matter of fact, don't say anything. I just, I just, you know, just think about it, pray about it, you know, go to the Lord. You know, she's just looking at me. So I finally get to the part, and I say, well... I, I, I just, you know, I forget exactly how I put it, but I said, essentially, will you marry me? And I, I didn't even get the me out. She said, yeah. <laughs> and I thought, that was quick. <laughs> what I did not know. Now, listen to this, and this is the reason I even tell you this story. What she told me after that was that when she was a little girl, God had just put it in her heart to pray for her future husband. And this was always her prayer. Every night she prayed this. She says, Dear God, keep my future husband safe. And that prayer was answered more times than you know. Keep my future husband safe. And let me recognize him when I see him. And what she had not told me before or ever intimated to anybody but her mother, was that the first day she ever saw me walk down the aisle of that church. Clerical robes, stoles flying. God spoke to her 
as clearly as he had ever spoken to her before or since and said, it's him. Now, I had been at that church for months and months. She had made absolutely no no arrangements to get in my face. She went and told her mom, you know, that's, I'm going to marry him. I never knew a thing about it. But she knew that day because she had set her life in order and had prayed, God, let me see. When I know what you know, I'll say yes. And that's why she could answer yes so quickly. That's what prayer does. She didn't run out and make something happen. She got everything lined up, and what was of God happened. That's what we're to do with our lives. See? So, pray with me. God, thank you for this time together. Uh, God, we would pray that you would give us such a relationship with you that we could hear you. We know that takes a long time. It's not automatic. Help us not to to try to work things according to our own schedule or, or the way we would like them to be. Help us rather to wait upon you so that not only we can renew our strength because we have let you have our burden, but so that we can build what is eternal because only you can do that. And we want to cooperate with you. Father, thank you that you still intervene daily in our lives. Teach us to see you. Train our ears, our, our, our ears to hear you. Train our hearts to have the inklings that come only from the Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.